You were not designed to be average. Average. You were designed for greatness. Greatness. This is My Average Greatness. We'll interview people who are doing amazingly great things and listen to their unique stories of greatness. Get ready to be inspired. Broadcasting around the globe. Around the globe. This is My Average Greatness, and this is Kevin Bartlett. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Average Greatness. Today, we've got a phenomenal guest, Elizabeth Ricks. A little bit about Elizabeth. Elizabeth has her master's degree that was published. She is a mother of two, actually a mother of three. Her third child is a golden retriever. She's created many of opportunities and didn't necessarily have the average career path, but something that she created for herself. Really looking forward to talking with Elizabeth and how she leads by example and takes control of her own life. Um, by sitting back and taking action, not letting life happen to her. So with that being said, we'd like to like welcome Elizabeth to My Average Greatness. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, so, you know, Elizabeth and I really know each other through my wife. I uh, believe you and Nicole had met at Flywheel. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. Yep. We met uh, through mutual friends, yeah, just both at our love of, you know, boutique fitness, and uh, it was a fun period in our life. This was before children, so we had a lot more time (laughs) than we did, and uh, we had a fun little social thing going on that was very fond looking back on those times. But yeah, so that's how you and I got to know each other, and then I would um, say that's how you got to know Colin as well, my husband, so... Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a great group. With that being said, uh, you know, part of the, the podcast is setting an example for our children. And I think my children are blessed because they have one of the best female role models ever in my wife. But with that Aww. being said, kids don't always listen to their parents. So it's good <laughs> to hear from other strong and empowered women, especially with my daughter Pippa and some other women that, you know, are strong and powerful and doing great things in the world. So having you on, I think is a great opportunity for Pippa to hear things from from another lens outside of her mother. And with that being said, I think, you know, family is really important to you, uh, important to us. You know, tell us a little bit about your background, like where you grew up, uh, a little bit about your family. All right. So I grew up in rural West Virginia, a really small town called Spencer. It's about um, 2,000 people. And um, people are always surprised to hear that my entire county went to one high school. So if you can picture, you know, Mecklenburg County and how many high schools there are here, you know, just imagine like that's was as big as my county was. We all went to one high school. Um, And I would say I had a wonderful childhood. I mean, loving parents. Um, My family's deep rooted in West Virginia. So both of my grandparents were also in the same hometown I grew up in. And that's just been looking back on my childhood, just something that has always stuck with me is just the family influences that I've had. And um, I'm an only child. I don't have any siblings, but I was always surrounded by cousins, first cousins, second cousins, 
um, and a lot of just big, happy family gatherings and holidays on both sides of my family. And those have just been some of the most wonderful memories I can look back on um, family times. But yeah, my mother was an English teacher. She taught high school English for 35 years. And my father um, is retired now, but he ran um, our family's business, which is hardware and uh, building materials. So it was actually started by my great-grandfather in 1907, and the business still exists today. It's actually in its fifth generation of management, so my cousin Owen runs it now. So that was also a big influence on my life, was just growing up in a, um, in a family business and uh, you know worked behind the counter during the summers and a little bit through college. And so that was a big uh, influence on my success as well. Man, there's a lot going on there. It's taking yeah, everything <laughs> out of me to not say yeehaw or going to hear West Virginia or by God, West Virginia. I know. I realized uh, when I went down the path about cousins, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's yep. a joke in here somewhere. I know there is. There is. I'm biting my tongue. And the only reason is my mom's from West Virginia. So we got, we got blood, blood down there too. So, uh, yeah. so from being from West Virginia, how did you, you know, end up in Charlotte? Yeah. Behind that. Yeah, so a lot of stops along the way. Um, so after high school, I went to, I started um, college in Miami of Ohio. So that would have been 2001 when I graduated high school. And so it was, it's kind of a funny path um, through college because growing up, I had had this sense in my mind that I wanted to be a pharmacist. And looking back, I don't really know where that ever came from. I think I just had that stuck in my mind and just you know, carried through with it until I got to college. And then when I got to college and I had to take a lot of organic chemistry classes, I realized pharmacy is not for me <laughs> because I am not good at organic chemistry. In fact, I think I took it twice because I was never able to actually pass it. So it was at that point in my college that I realized, okay, so pharmacy is not going to be um, my career, but what do I enjoy? And I had taken a couple of business classes and I was like, I think I really like marketing. This seems to be kind of, you know, interesting to me. So maybe instead of um, going to pharmacy school, I will go to business school. So that was um, my junior year of college. And um, kind of backing up a couple steps. So when my parents and I had planned for me to go to college, we had always um, thought I would go to Miami for two years and then I would transfer to West Virginia University and go to pharmacy school there. So in terms of planning, once I decided I wasn't going to go to pharmacy school, it still made sense for me to go ahead and transfer um, just for you know financial reasons. That's what we had in the plan. So I started at Miami and finished uh, college at West Virginia University. So I consider myself both a Miami Red Hawk and a West Virginia Mountaineer. <laughs> um, but it was it was an interesting, college was really fun for me because I love the, the years that I did spend at Miami. That's where I met my husband now. Um, we were talking the other night about what year we met and it would have been the spring of 2002. So we've known each other almost 20 years now, which is just hard to believe. Um, but we had, um, a lot of, you know, mutual friends in college and we were there during the Ben Roethlisberger years, which was fun. That was, um, a good, a good time to be in Miami. And then of course, you know, transferring to West Virginia was kind of almost like coming home because my, um, all my high school friends were there and I got reconnected with them again. And, uh, you know, West Virginia is a great football school. So I had two completely different, but distinct, um, college experiences. So I finished my business degree at West Virginia, graduated in the spring of 2006, 
And like most of us after college, my first job was in sales, which I think is, you know, pretty typical for a marketing major or anyone who's gone to business. And so uh, first job out of college was with Merck in pharmaceutical sales. And that was in Hickory, North Carolina, which is actually not too far from where we are in Charlotte. And that was just literally luck. I mean, I didn't know anybody in Hickory, but just happened to get a job there because there was a territory open. So um, I uh, did pharmaceutical sales for a couple years so in Hickory. That, I mean, get, getting a pharmaceutical sales job is no easy feat, um, especially coming right out of school. Yeah. You know, how, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit of luck, but like, what was that process like? How did you get um, involved yeah. in the industry? It sounds like you had some pharmacy and chemistry passion still. But how I actually got that job, I think was a little bit of luck because the industry was still really, you know, booming at that time. But I think the thing that really, you know, made me able to get the job right out of college was the way that I framed my resume. So, I realized, you know, if this is something I wanted to do, because I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do, but I always liked healthcare. That was something that was interesting to me. And again, going back to, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist, but yet I couldn't quite find what piece of healthcare I liked. Um, this seemed like a natural fit between, you know, my interest in that and then my marketing business degree as well. So I think it was just a matter of learning how to write a resume really well and then learning how to interview really well. And I will credit the business school at West Virginia because we went through a really rigorous interview prep class our senior year of high school where we were taught, you know, this is how you go through an interview. And um, that really prepared me to, you know, get an interview and just, I guess, wow them because that was my first job out of college. So um, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while. Yeah. So then, and then from there, obviously, you know, being in pharmaceutical sales is one of those careers that a lot of people seek and, mm -hmm. and you know, decided to go into healthcare analytics from there. Yep. What, yep. What so that, that was, that was an interesting transition. So I think you're going to see a pattern in terms of how I kind of jump from, from here to here because, so I go out of college and I spent three years in pharmaceutical sales. And as I mentioned, the industry at that time was really still booming. I mean, that was really the heyday of pharmaceutical reps where you could, you know, actually have conversations with doctors about the drug you're representing. And that's all completely changed then, uh, since then. So I um, realized having this be my first career that I really enjoyed kind of connecting with people and forming this uh, relationship and helping them solve problems. But I was getting very frustrated by um, just the, the where the industry was going and that, you know, you weren't able to see and have as many conversations just because things were changing and there were going to be a lot of restrictions coming into place. So I realized, okay, this is something I probably need to, if I'm going to make a career move, I don't see a long-term future in this. And again, this is a little bit of luck that happened because this is all leading up to the Great Recession, obviously, in 2007, 2008. So I realized like, okay, what do I like about my current job and how do I, you know, move into something else um, that does more of that. And so I looked at everything I did throughout the course of that job and realized I really like the business planning side of this. Um, we, um, you know, worked with a lot of data as, as a sales rep. So you're, you're given a lot of, of information about your territory. And I found that I was really good at taking all the information and actually coming up with a plan from it. So I was like, well, maybe I ought to do something with that because that 
you know, seems pretty interesting to me. So it was about that time, this would have been 2009, that my husband and I got married. So he, after Miami, graduated, went into the Marine Corps and had um, served overseas during this time. And he and I were ready to, you know, put roots down and and get married. Um, He wasn't ready to leave the Marine Corps at that time. So we made the decision when he was um, about to transfer that I would just move to wherever he was stationed. And so that happened to be in Trenton, New Jersey. This would have been 2009. So I made the move with him. I quit my job with Merck um, in pharmaceutical sales. And so while I was in Philadelphia, while we lived in Philadelphia, which is pretty close to New Jersey, um, I had the opportunity to get my master's degree at um, St. Joseph's in Philly. Uh, St. Joe's, if anybody knows it by a nickname. And that was an interesting kind of, again, one of these luck, type of situations, a little bit of luck, a little bit of, you know, grit, hard work that goes behind it because um, it just so happened that St. Joe's in 2009 was one of the first business schools that was offering a master's in analytics program, which is what I was exactly wanting to get into. So I just literally happened to be in the right place at the right time when it came to deciding, okay, I think I want to actually invest some career time in this and then just move to a place where there happened to be a master's program in this. So um, I started as a full-time student when we first got married and I really enjoyed my classes and really realized like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is the right, you know, fit for me. Um, And so eventually ended up going to to being a part-time student because I found a job that I really liked in healthcare consulting. So the um, pharmaceutical industry is really big in in Philadelphia and New Jersey. So there's a lot of um, support services that support pharma, pharma companies. And so I started working for one of those, which went along the lines of what I liked about my pharmaceutical job, which was taking a lot of data and figuring out how to make a plan out of it. So that was a natural fit for me. So that took us up through about 2012 during my time in uh, Philadelphia. So and uh, then, you, you say luck quite a few times, but if, yeah, you're also somebody, I think opportunity meets preparation where you're prepared for the opportunity that kind of presents itself and maybe the, the timing and being in there would you attribute all of it to luck or to some of like you having a focus of where you're going and being prepared when that opportunity is in front of you? That's a fantastic question. And I think you are absolutely right. I credit it saying being in the right place at the right time, but I think I was also willing to spot opportunities when they come up and jump on them. You know, I think there is some degree of like you, you're always going to be faced with luck if you face that, but you also have to be willing to kind of put yourself out there and take a risk and jump on things when you see them. Um, And that really keeps coming into play as I, you know, talk later and later about um, my career progression. But yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think there's some degree of luck, but then there's also some degree of just willing to take a risk and act on that luck as well. Seizing that opportunity. Yeah. Seizing the opportunity. Excuse me. Um, So then from there, from healthcare analytics, you then again was successful in the pharmaceutical field became successful in the healthcare analytics field, and then decided, hey, let's go challenge myself again. Let me get out of this industry and get into the financial services with one of the world's largest banks. Yep. Completely out of healthcare. Like what, how did that happen? That was a little bit of a sidestep, I would say, because, you know, my husband and I had lived in the Northeast for a couple of years and really we were tired of the weather. 
in, in Philadelphia. We'd had a couple rough winters and just realized this was not going to work for us. We were at the point, you know, we feel like we just started to get established or ready to put down roots, maybe start thinking about children at some point in the future. And so we, you know, took a good hard look at everything and decided like, where do we really want to be? Um, and we had always had a fondness for North Carolina um, for a couple reasons. You know, I grew up going to Wrightsville Beach over in the Wilmington area for years, ever since um, I was a little girl. So North Carolina has always been a special place to me. It's also my first job out of college, just out of, you know, the way the cards fell. And then Colin, my husband, was stationed at Camp Lejeune over on the coast, um, his first tour in, in the Marine Corps. So we had always liked this area. And um, when we were talking about where we wanted to live, we'd had some friends here um, that I still knew from my Hickory days. Well, you know, um, Melissa and Lindsay, um, we, that's how she and um, all of us know each other. We go way back. And so we visited them. And uh, actually, I believe it was, was it for Melissa's wedding? It was for Melissa's wedding. We came down here when Melissa and Andy got married. And we realized, yeah, I think we could move to Charlotte and be really happy here and just call this home. Um, so that move took probably a year and a half of planning, I would say, because um, I was finishing up my master's. Uh, Colin was deciding what he wanted to do after the Marine Corps because he was kind of now at a, at a decision point with his career around, you know, he decided he wasn't he didn't want to continue down the Marine Corps path and us have to move every three years. That just wasn't something that was attractive to either one of us. So he was transitioning into, you know, a career in the private sector and um, ended up getting accepted at Wake Forest um, Business School here in Charlotte. So that was sort of the catalyst of just kind of making everything, make, making that move was he transitioned out of the Marine Corps. And then I just happened to get a job um, at Bank of America because of the analytics work that I had or the background there. So I wouldn't say I necessarily like was trying to get into the banking world. That was just a move that had to be made to kind of get us to where we, where we wanted to be, so to speak. So we left um, Philadelphia in 2012 and moved here to Charlotte and we've been here ever since. And I don't ever foresee leaving. That is, although we, we do joke, we do joke at times, depends on how many zeros somebody wants to put at the end of our salary. And then that might make us move. <laughs> but oh, right now, right now we're here. So yeah, so we moved to Charlotte and I got a job at Bank of America and uh, stayed there for a couple years and then made another really, really big career move that we can talk about. Now. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have to have a, another episode with Colin, how you were yeah. able to, to find somebody, be so lucky to meet somebody like Colin and that does what he does <laughs> and going to, going to toot his horn a little bit. So we'll, we'll yeah. have Colin on at a later time as well. He's, he's, yes. he's got a lot to unpack and yep. bring, brings a lot to share as well. And so with that, this is, you know, one of my favorite stories that you talked about. So you got uh -huh. to Bank of America, you're in Charlotte, this is our roots now it's more about like creating opportunity for yourself. Yes. And you're now working with, um, is it Cole, Cole Naflick? Um, I am now. Yes. And so. you, you'd met her as she was presenting to you guys at Bank of America and yep. sparked your interest. And it was just something that you knew you had to go do and it, you kind yes. of took off the boxing gloves and, and, and went to war yeah. if you will, to, to take this next step in your career. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting um, 
this story has a lot of twists and turns, I guess, so to speak. So um, we moved to Charlotte. I got a job at Bank of America and in analytics. I mean, basically the same thing I was doing with healthcare consulting, but just with, you know, um, uh, financial services data. So I was there for a couple of years and, you know, this was right after I had finished my master's degree. And what was happening around that time is that everybody in the early 2010s, like right after the Great Recession, had this, you know, kind of inflated view of analytics and what data can do. You know, everybody thought data was going to solve the world and we wouldn't ever have to make any decisions and, you know, everything was just going to be perfect, um, myself included, just kind of where, how new this, this industry was. So after a couple years of doing it um, at a really, really large institution, I just started to get really frustrated um, because what was happening was I'm a very analytical person. And so when I'm working with, I should back up a second, because my role at the bank was really to analyze our entire sales process for the line of business that I supported. So basically figure out, you know, how do we get revenue faster? How do we get customers on board more quickly and processing more with us, you know, spending more money, bringing more revenue in. So as part of that, I supported a, a line of business and I had a lot of key stakeholders that I worked with, you know, our marketing team, finance team, couple senior leaderships. Every now and then we get requests from the board to do stuff for them. Um, and this was the type of role that I really enjoyed at first um, because I'm, you know, as I mentioned, a, a data person, I'm very analytical and I like just figuring out, okay, what is this data telling me? Like, what's the story? Where's the interesting things that are happening there? But over the course of the five years that I was at Bank of America, I started to get really frustrated and annoyed because what I was finding is I would spend so much time on all the projects or all the work that I would do. And then I would go to share it with my business partners and I would hear things like, oh, well, that's interesting. Thanks, Elizabeth. And they would move on. Or they would start asking me for more data and more data and more data. And it would just start this cycle of what I call analysis paralysis, where basically I was just pushing out data and nothing was happening, pushing out reports. And that was so frustrating to me because... I worked with a really good team and had a lot of people on the back end that were, you know, doing all this prep work for us, you know, to be able to do these projects and nothing was happening. Like we just weren't getting any value out of it. And that was so frustrating to me. And so finally I realized that, you know, my business partners aren't the problem. The data is not the problem. I'm the problem, right? I'm the way I'm communicating and presenting it to them is terrible, right? Because what I was doing is, you know, I kind of liken this whole process of um, analysis is you're hunting for pearls in oyster shells, right? Where you literally might have to open a hundred different oyster shells to find one or two or sometimes no pearls at all. And at the end of that very painstaking process, there is an understandable urge to want to give your stakeholders, your business partners, every single one of those oyster shells as evidence of like, look all the work I've done, <laughs> you know? And that happens a lot because we have this sense, and I say we, the people who, you know, kind of work with data, just have this sense of like, we want to show you like, this is a ton of work. Look how much, you know, I want you to kind of feel some of that pain. But once I realized what I was doing, I realized I had to get better at that last piece and like just let go of all the work that I've done and really just focus on the so what, right? Like, what does my business partner care about? Um, so once I realized that, I'm like, okay, well, surely I can't be the only person who's ever had this problem. Like, surely somebody else has figured this out, right? Can help me learn to communicate better. So I found... Um, 
I did some independent research and I found um, somebody named Cole Naflick who lived out in California and was working for Google at the time. And she had written this fantastic book that I found on Amazon called Storytelling with Data. And I read it and I'm like, this makes so much sense. Like she gets it. She's like me working for Google and having these same struggles and challenges around, you know, being able to communicate effectively. And she had figured out kind of some tips and tricks and ways to communicate in a way that made sense. So I read her book and I was like, okay, this is amazing. Like we all need to learn how to do this. And so I, um, told my senior leader at the time that, you know, we should all get this book and, you know, be able to, to present data as well as she did. And so it turns out she actually teaches, and she not only teaches a book, but she teaches workshops. And so he, my senior leader, brought her into Bank of America and we had a team of about, you know, 15, 20 people at the time, um, brought her in. She did a full day workshop with us and we all kind of got the basics down. But what I noticed over time was really interesting because as I started to get better and better at communicating, with data, like my conversations were completely changing with my business partners, right? We weren't just, you know, being asked for more data and more data. We're actually talking about it and what to do with it. And so that was so exciting to me to see that transformation that I'm like, huh, well, this might be my next move here because (laughs) the, uh, you know, the theme of kind of being in the right place at the right time or, you know, jumping on things, this sort of Transit. This sort of coincided with a very life-altering event of mine that had happened recently, and that was the birth of my first child. So I think any you know yourself, you yourself can probably relate to this, or any parent who's listening to this will relate that when you have your first child, you think your life is not going to change, but it is going to change in ways that you never expected. And it will never be the same again. And that's a good and a bad thing too, right? You just, you're not prepared for what a life altering thing that's going to be. So um, after I had my first child and I came back from maternity leave, I was just feeling really uneasy about where my career at Bank of America was going. It just didn't feel like I was being challenged and I had had a lot of success, you know, a lot of professional success there, but I just felt really, really bored. And so I remember sitting at work one day thinking like, I still want to have a career, you know, know, but if I'm going to spend, you know, eight to 10 day or eight to 10 hours away from my, you know, son every single day, like it has to be something meaningful. It has to be something that I'm passionate about. So I started thinking about, you know, kind of having the same conversation I did when I was trying to switch from pharmaceutical sales into something else. I'm like, what am I really good at? Um, And how can I kind of, transition or pivot into that as a career. Taking your own Uh, analytical approach on your own career. Yeah, kind (laughs) of, right? And it was, yeah, it was the exact same conversation. It's like, okay, so what do I like about my current job? And how do I get into that as my next job? Um, And, you know, I'm trying to think like what caused me to sort of make the next move that I did. But I realized like I'm really enjoying being good at, or I'm really enjoying how much better I am at communicating with data now. And it was just sort of realizing that like so many people have this problem because what had happened, what's been happening over time is what I was realizing at Bank of America is all of a sudden everybody, you know, every business that now has a bunch of data is also realizing. And when I realized like how easy it is to learn, 
um, how to communicate better with data. I'm like, that's what I want to help other people do, right? Because, you know, if you think back to, we're not traditionally taught this in school. Like, you know, you're taught about language, you're taught about math, but nobody really teaches you how to put the two things together, right? How to communicate well with numbers. But once you learn how to do it, like, it's actually not that hard. And so I realized like, that's really what I want to help other people do because there's such a need for it and nobody else is doing it. And there's such a, you know, fantastic opportunity here for me to share like my passion and what I've learned and can help other people continue to learn. So I realized I was like, well, Cole's really got a pretty good thing going on because she's doing exactly what I wanted to do. And I honestly cannot tell you what kind of pushed me to reach out to her in the way that I did. Um, But I basically decided, well, she's, you know, got it figured out, but she's only one person. So I wonder if she needs more people. And so I literally just wrote her an email out of nowhere. And I said, hey, you know, you don't know me, but I took your workshop at Bank of America a couple, um, a couple months ago and I've had, you know, fantastic success and, you know, told her a little bit about it. And I said, I, I absolutely love what you do, but you're only one person. So is there any chance you would ever consider growing your team? Because I think I could really help you make an impact, even bigger of an impact. And um, everybody laughs when they hear this story because they're kind of like, I cannot believe you just reach out to her. And I was like, and I always say like, but I had nothing to lose, right? Like, what was the worst she could say was no. Didn't you you rearrange your resume into a data format to catch her attention as well? Yes, yes, yes. And so she wrote me back immediately. And I think the reason she wrote me back immediately and said, yeah, let's talk is because the way that I reached out to her. Because I was like, all right, so if I'm going to, you know, make contact with her and ask if she wants to grow her team, basically, like, does she want to hire me to help do what she's doing? I'm like, I have to do it in a way that she's going to, that's going to get her attention, you know, that she's going to want to pay attention to. Because I would imagine, you know, as successful as she has been, you know, she's been doing this on her own for about five or six years. She's written a book. Um, If you like Google her, she's all, you know, got videos on YouTube and stuff. So I knew she was, you know, pretty well-known and well-respected in her field. And I was like, well, surely she's probably getting like people sending her her resume all resumes all the time. So what can I do to sort of stand out from the pack? And so what I did, and again, I don't remember like what the, what the kind of thought process I went through, but I basically took my resume and I applied everything that I had learned in her workshop. So for things I felt like needed to have a graph, I made a graph out of it. And for things I thought that needed to be highlighted, I, you know, put them in the really prominent places at the top that made them stand out in big, bold letters and, you know, used color to focus attention on the things that I wanted her to see. I mean, basically did everything in my resume that I learned in her class. And so in my approach to her, I sent her that and I didn't um, actually start out by asking for a job. I just basically asked for her feedback on my resume. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about switching jobs and I've taken what I learned in your class and I've applied it to my resume. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to give me feedback, you know, knowing full well, I'm actually, this is like conversation number two, right? So um, I think it was the way that I approached it is what got her attention rather than just- Colin said that's how you got him to go on the first date with him too. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a different podcast, a different story, our first date. So you can, (laughs) but, um, so anyway, yeah, I think the way that I crafted my approach to her is what got her attention because she wrote me back almost immediately, which I was shocked for. I was sitting, 
you know, on my couch at like 10 o'clock at night. And she wrote me back and she's like, wow, I don't ever forget what she said. She said, you know, I, I like your, I like what you've done. She gave me some feedback on things like that. And I think actually, I take it back. I think I must have said something at the very end about, you know, I am considering making a career transition and would be curious if you're ever, you know, interested in growing your team or growing your business or something like that. Um, because when she wrote me back, which was literally within a matter of hours, I couldn't believe it. She said, gave me some feedback on, you know, what I had asked her for. And then at the end, she said, I would love to talk to you sometime. Do you have any specific ideas about how I might grow my business? And I remember thinking, well, shit, no, I don't. (laughs) I don't have any idea at all. But it was interesting looking back on that because I think had I spent too much time or, you know, given too much thought about what I was actually asking her to do, I would have probably talked myself out of not even reaching out to her at all. Um, So it was almost like I got my foot at the door and then I'm going to figure things out once I get there. Not the fake it if you make it, if you will, type of approach, but it was really just more like my goal right now is to just be able to talk to her, like just have a conversation with her and then we can figure out steps from there. I love it. Like the, the ready, shoot, aim approach. Yeah. Like, okay. So yeah, now, we're in it. Yeah. now there's no turning back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Like, well, I'm invested now. So we set up time to talk and um, she and I um, agreed that, you know, we really connected. We seem to have a lot in common. Um, we really, you know, seem to, to get along really well. And she said, well, I've never hired anybody before. You would be my first person I've ever hired. So that makes me a little uneasy because, you know, she had grown her brand and her business really by herself for the past five years. And, you know, kind of like anything, like it was her baby. And she felt a little uncomfortable about maybe somebody else who she had no idea coming in and helping her. Um, you know, she didn't know who I was. Was I going to take it and like, you know, do something awful with it or things like that. So, and rightfully so, I, you know, could appreciate that. Um, so we, we realized like, let's take some time to just kind of see how this would work. Um, I took a couple of weeks, I think I took a week off, um, week of personal vacation and went out, flew out to San Francisco and spent some time with her out there and just kind of watching, you know, what she did when she went into other organizations and taught the workshop that I had already taken at Bank of America. And it was just, it was so interesting to me to see that because like the questions that we had at B of A were the same questions that she was teaching for like social media companies that are out in San Francisco and like things that, you know, you see everywhere. And I just realized, you know, everybody has these questions and I can help solve this, this problem. So it just became really clear to me that that was what I wanted to do. And so probably six months or so. Um, we realized it would make sense for her to bring me on and uh, leave the bank, which was a little bit of a risk for going from, you know, a really large organization to being employee number one at a company that <laughs> is basically not a company. It's just, you know, you and one other person. Um, so that was, let me think, that would have been 2017. So that's been about three years now. So for the last three years, I've been working for Storytelling with Data. And as I mentioned, I'm employee number one with that. And basically what I do in my job is I teach other people, individuals, how to design graphs and communicate them communicate them in a way that makes sense. So people like myself um, in previous roles, and then also as it, it seems like it's becoming more and more like Everybody is being asked to do something with data, regardless of whether you have a quantitative or an analytic background at all. So I'm starting to find that I'm getting a lot more of those types of people in the workshops that we teach or just people that need, you know, just to 
create a graph, you know, every now and then, and what are kind of the best practices and how can they design it in a way that makes sense to somebody else. So um, it's fun. I get to travel, you know, all over the U.S. Well, not right now, currently. Um, but over the past couple of years, I've traveled all over the U.S. and I've visited, you know, tons of different um, companies from, you know, like social media companies in San Francisco to consumer products companies to, you know, banks in New York. I mean, everybody kind of has the same challenge and that we have more data that we know what to do with. And it doesn't really make sense unless you can communicate it in a way that makes sense. So it's been um, it's been a fun ride, and of course, you know, recently with uh, COVID nineteen, that's kind of been one of these other big, just you know, life altering things that come along that you just kind of have to figure out as they go along. Um, but we'll uh, we're we're figuring things out and adapting and moving, and uh, things are things are just rolling. So, so what's the next challenge? Ah, boy, that's a good question. I think the next challenge is the current environment we're in. Um, you're talking about personally or like at? Yeah, personally, professionally. Um, um, so kind of like, you know, like you'd mentioned, COVID is a lot of your business yeah. is face-to-face. So you're now right. being challenged on operating a business and still conveying your information, running a business while you yep. can't have the face-to-face. Correct. Yeah. So I would say that is the current challenge and it's probably, you know, the challenge that I wasn't anticipating or anybody was anticipating, right? So this would be one that's more like, this is a challenge I'm just have to take on, not one that I'm kind of creating for myself. But to answer your question, yes. Um, you know, previously, previous to this whole situation, I mean, everything we were doing required traveling and teaching in person um, workshops of about 30 to, to 50 people, which, you know, is not happening and doesn't seem like it'll be happening for the future. So we've had to really quickly shift to how do we still meet the need? Because the need is still there. I mean, data is not going away and the need to communicate with it effectively is not going away. And in fact, it seems like every day it gets more and more important. Um, so how can we still deliver on that need is what we've been trying to figure out over the past six weeks. And so I think we've landed on a pretty good rhythm. We're trying to feel, feel out the doing things over Zoom and um, how that works and how can we replicate the experience you get from, you know, teaching in a small classroom setting over live. Um, and we've had some success, which has been great. And um, we actually did a workshop yesterday with um, individuals, not company-based, but individuals. But there were people dialing in from all over the world, which has been, you know, kind of interesting because to reach different time zones, different countries that we've never connected with before. So I think it's kind of just trying different things and putting things out there and seeing what sticks and then just iterating and kind of going from there. So I don't know what things are going to look like in, you know, six to 12 months. But I think if we continue to look for the opportunities that are there and be prepared to act on them and be willing to try new things, we'll be able to, to figure it out because um, I think that's, and I think that's really the game, the name of the game with, with anything, right. You know, there's always going to be a crisis. Like it's not a, like we've never had COVID-19 before, but there's been 9-11 and the recession and things like that. So I think, you know, if I, if I had to sum up my career, it's kind of what we were talking about before. It's just when things happen and new opportunities present themselves, like you have to be willing to jump on them and you either are or you aren't. And if you jump on them and it was a, a risk to take and it was paid off in a good way, then you, you know, keeps you moving forward. But if you don't jump on them, then, you know, you always, you just don't know. Right. So 
um, I guess in some regards, like this is, this is the current challenge, not of my own choosing, but also I guess I am choosing it because I'm continuing to want to change things as opportunities come up. So, yeah. I love it. So, I mean, again, we, we appreciate you. I mean, you know, a mother from small town, West Virginia, (laughs) English teachers made her way to the big old city of Charlotte. Yeah, that's right. uh, Making an impact on the world and and teaching people, you know, data is the new oil. So how do we present that to make effective decisions concisely um, and efficiently? So thank you for empowering women, men, children by taking control of your own career and, and leading by example. Yeah. So final question that we like to end the podcast on is, yep. you know, if something were to happen to you, what message would you like to leave for your kids, the family or the world? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's such a timely one, you know, as you and I have talked before, because I think with these sort of kind of major life events, um, it makes you think about big picture stuff and be reflective on, you know, if uh, I think we probably all have had the situation recently where you're thinking like, all right, my nose is a little scratchy. Is this allergies or am I coming down with something more serious? And do I have only have five days left to live? <laughs> and boy, that really makes you uh, think differently. So I think in, in light of, um, in light of the short time that we all have here on earth, what I would tell my children and what I'd like my children to know is just that your life is going to be what you make of it, right? And if you sit back and wait for others to take care of you, that's not to say life won't turn out the way you want it to, but you're going to be in a better position if you're willing to just take control of things. And I think my parents gave me the, um, raised me with the mentality of if opportunity doesn't knock for you, then just go build a door, like make the opportunities happen and put yourself in positions to where they will come along. Right. So I think there is some going back to what we talked about, there is some degree of luck in life, but there's also, there's also some degree of hard work that just puts you in the right place at the right time. And then just a little bit of um, grit to just make you act on things when opportunities present themselves. Um, so that would be what I would encourage my two children now to think about. So Tommy, who's four and Henry, who's 18 months that and future children, if they do, if we're blessed with any more too. So. That is so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Elizabeth. Bye-bye. You've been listening to My Average Greatness, a show highlighting interviews with average people doing great things from every walk of life. We hope you found encouragement and most of all, inspiration. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, keep up with us on Instagram at My Average Greatness. Make sure to leave us a comment and don't forget to follow and share the podcast. You were not born to be average. You were born to be great. And maybe you'll be our next interview. Till next time.